we used to think of testing being, you know, you have to have a market and a focus group and do all these things. But, you know, the world has really changed. And I think, um, you know, e-commerce, digital, there's so many ways that you can test and learn quickly. You can, you know, fail fast. And Mm -hmm. that allows you to do a lot more testing. Thank you for tuning in to Say Hi to the Future's Leadership Forum, a space where you will hear perspectives from global industry executives on human ingenuity, how they catalyze it to unlock value and realize their organization's true potential. We will keep it real. You will hear what's worked well and learnings from instances where things could have worked better. I'm your host, Sakir Bali, partner at Spiderworks and explorer Say Hi to the Future the fast-growing community highlighting the human side of ingenuity. So, our guest today is Michelle Ulmer. Michelle is VPGM Kimberly Club, Costco Global. She started a career like many of us at P&G and rose through the ranks primarily in sales over a span of 26 years. She then moved to Berkshire Hathaway where Michelle and I got an opportunity to work together on the Duracell business. Michelle is a skilled negotiator with proven ability to create joint value. Welcome, Michelle, and thank you for taking time out from your well-negotiated schedule. Let's let our listeners hear in your voice how you wish to introduce yourself to them. As you do, please do shed some light on what most of us get wrong about sales as a discipline and something about keeping large sales organizations motivated as you do every day. Super happy to be here, Saka. And nice to uh, reconnect with my good friend here from our Duracell days. Yeah. Likewise, likewise. Well, you know, you can uh, read about my profile on LinkedIn and, you know, 35 years working for some of the best uh, companies, Procter & Gamble, Berkshire Hathaway, currently Kimberly Clark and some of the best brands. Um, leading sales teams, uh, I currently lead the Costco Global uh, sales team and it's really Sales and marketing is really what I do. And talking about being a negotiator, I really consider myself being more of a collaborative problem solver. So that is really more my secret sauce in negotiation is really um, figuring out a way to collaborate with customers and to jointly solve problems, both from the customer side, from our internal company side and uh and obviously the consumer side want to solve problems for our our consumers at the end of the day and i consider myself a developer of people and very active in in mentoring and uh really trying to uh develop a future and is this something that we all our listeners and and myself included get wrong about sales as a discipline yeah i'd say you know sales as a discipline i think people think of sales as you know, you're persuading somebody to buy something ultimately. And I think sales at the discipline, especially today, is much more sophisticated, I think, than it was, uh, particularly in my business where, you know, we have long-term customer relationships. It's not a transactional sales, you know, like selling a car to somebody. It is a long-term, deep relationship that we have with our customers. And Costco is Kimberly Clark's number two customer. And I represent the global business. So it's very important for me to, you know, understand uh, different markets, different consumers in those different markets, and really use that knowledge and expertise to develop the best products, um, design the best products for 
the consumer ultimately and also that that fits with what the customer wants to achieve so it's it's much more sophisticated than people think sales is and really jointly collaborating with the customer on what those solutions are so we've got lots of different levers uh that you can work with uh with the customer to to solve those problems so i i think sales is you know it's the most exciting function obviously i'm i'm biased but uh i just love solving problems and working collaboratively with customers to do that as they say sales is the oldest profession um because even for generally what comes to mind for that also you need sales but you know what i think you you bring out a really good point right so generally sales is the demystification is it's not a transaction right and and like you said it's a lot more sophisticated than that yes it does result in transactions over a period of time um however that's not the going in position so thank you thank you for uh for demystifying that for our listeners um Michelle, if you and I were to trade war stories from our time together, whether that would be at Procter Gamble or at Berkshire, I think that in itself could be a separate podcast. Um, sure. But you know what? But you know what? I think I think we we leave that aside for a second. What I really wanted to do was get your take on the human side of ingenuity, right? Say out of the future, where high stands for human ingenuity, and we look at the human side of it. Give us in your experience how you have leveraged innovation ingenuity uh your team to go do that give us a couple of examples of when it has worked really well but also to give us an example of when it didn't work as well and and you learned from that you know i consider you know innovation uh there's three types of innovation that we look at when we deliver innovation to our consumers and customers and you know when you think of innovation you think of the product right how do we innovate better products for the consumers and certainly product innovation is very important it's delivering you know benefits uh and features to the consumer that improves their product experience their lives in some way um but there's also other types of innovation and one is commercial innovation um so commercial innovation an example of a uh, commercial innovation that that we have right now out in the market is it's um uh Walt Disney Disney's 100th uh anniversary this year and so we have developed uh we are the biggest licensor of uh Disney product outside of toys so it's on our diapers and uh we make huggies diapers around the world and so we wanted to celebrate with Disney in a very big way and um we did that with unique characters and stuff on our our packages and um unique programs so that's a commer- an example of commercial innovation um and then the other piece of innovation and this is really big on the Costco business is promise innovation promise innovation is what is the promise that your product is delivering to the consumer and it's really around claims i'll give you a great example really more from my duracell experience where you know when you have products that are so big right Costco products you know there's a lot of of uh you know units in a pack you know there's a lot of diapers and a big puggies that you buy at Costco so the barrier the number one barrier of the consumer or the member in buying that big pack of diapers is uh you know am i going to need all those right is my child going to grow out of 
size one before they get into size two, and I'm going to have all these size one diapers left. So we want to design claims that really go after that number one purchase barrier of the member buying their product at Costco, really, or really, you know, buying Huggies first, but then buying it at Costco because I represent Costco. So, um, you know, a great example of promise innovation really was from my Duracell days where the number one consumer barrier to buying batteries at Costco is, gosh, do I need 40, a big 40 pack of of batteries? And is the power going to be there when I need it? Or, you know, is the the power going to die over time? And by the time I get down to my, you know, um, pack of batteries, is the power going to be dead? And so the unique promise innovation that we did with Duracell is, you know, launching a new claim with the 10-year Duralock guarantee. So it's guaranteed for 10 years in storage. That single change to the claim, it used to be seven years and then it went to 10 years and then they put a Duralock claim around it. Um, That single change to the product increased my Costco business by over 20%. And that was a pretty big business at the time. So it's a great example of where there are you know, don't constrain yourself to thinking about innovation just being on product alone. There are lots of different types, packaging, promise, and commercial as well. You know, this is this is so cool. And and for sure, I mean, you know, yes, product, commercial, and then you've got your promise. But in each one of these, I think that there are a couple of things that you touched on, right? When it comes to the human side of that ingenuity, I think the first is how do you get to an insight that's going to unlock that value? And so there, it, it is all about understanding um, our fellow human beings. Um, what is it that's going to, whether that be at the customer end, at the consumer end, uh, or frankly, internally, how are we going to make it work? So I think that's 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 fantastic. I think the other aspect to this is what I'd love to get your your thoughts on is how do you keep your sales teams, your teams, motivated, not just inside Kimberly Clark or in the past at Procter, but also the customer side. How have you used human ingenuity to do that? Yeah, I think human ingenuity and how we keep our my team motivated and really to continue to innovate and think of new ways to grow the business, I think really comes down to three things. I think one is, you know, you have to teach people to learn faster. And to do that, you have to teach them to be unafraid of failure. And I think that is doing a lot of test and learn. You know, don't be afraid of testing new things. And if you fail, fail fast, right? So I think we don't do enough testing and learning within, I think, just consumer products in general. I think what we used to think of testing being, you know, we have to have a market and a focus group and do all these things. But you know, the world has really changed. And I think, um, you know, e-commerce, digital, there's so many ways that you can test and learn quickly. You can, you know, fail fast. And Mm -hmm. that allows you to do a lot more testing. I think the second thing also is to learn more from others. And I encourage my team to get out, not only in the Costco buildings and see what our competitors are doing and non-competes are doing uh, within the club, but also, you know, out in, in the stores and doing store walks and just, you know, learning from what others are doing and what they're doing well, what they're not doing well. And uh, to get out there and just, uh, you know, not be 
cloistered in your little room. (laughs) And then the third one, and I think this is the biggest, and that is to ask more questions. And the question that I always encourage my team to ask is, what needs to be true in order for this to happen? So if a customer asks for something, it is not, you know, what, how, how can I say no, right? Or what are the barriers that I have to saying yes? It's always what needs to be true in order for this to happen. And I think you and I learned this back in our Berkshire Hathaway days when it was, you know, try to say yes to a customer. Think of the ways mm-hmm. that you can say yes. It's either yes if, yes and, yes but, yes when, but it's not, you know, what are the barriers to to this? And I think that is a real unlock to ingenuity as well. Love that. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's funny. When I, when I look back on every interaction I've had with Costco as a customer, I must give the customer a ton of credit. They were one of the people who innovated on the entire business model. And the Costco business model is just absolutely amazing. I think the, the member value that they stand for and how they go about with their business. Um, but the, the one that I found the most um, working with them, I'm not saying working with uh, Costco uh, is smooth all the time. However, it is a very formulae where, hey, meet my red lines. You can put whatever you want in my store. Um, take responsibility for it. Meet the red lines. And if you do, the rest just takes care of itself. So I think they they stand for their member value. They stand for the treasure hunt. They stand for all of that. And doing business with them is is in itself something that you can wrap your head around and, and, and like you said, overcome the barriers. And I think your business can be very successful with them. Absolutely. I'll, I'll just give you an example of, of- how Costco really pushes their suppliers to think of new ways. You know, we're in a, an inflationary, still a very much of an inflationary environment, and there's been a lot of price increases um, on the consumer uh, across multiple categories. Um, and, you know, our business is not immune. And Costco is really challenging their suppliers to, instead of taking a price increase, we understand that commodity prices uh, you know, raw material prices are going up, but how can we cost save in other areas to mitigate that for their member and not have to take that price increase? And they're very, very strong in pushing for, for those things, like, you know, unlocking, you know, pallet efficiency, getting more product on a pallet so that it can be more efficient throughout the supply chain and investing those cost savings to offset the need to, you know, increase price to the member. And so that is one thing that you really have to respect Costco for is, and they will partner with you. They will, it's not all up to you, the supplier. They will partner with you on innovative ways that they can also do their part to mitigate um, price increases. Cool. No, I I completely agree with you. And then my experience um, working with you on some of those very challenges that we had to overcome, but you're absolutely right. Uh, they will partner with you. They will work with you. Um, and so long as you keep showing up with new stuff in new ways of solving problems, 
I think they're one of the best partners there. So, so 100%. Michelle, let me, let me turn this over, uh, you know, a, a different aspect to this. So you've had an amazing career. Uh, and what I wanted to just understand is if Michelle was to take a different path or rather if Michelle was to take the same path again, would she make different choices versus uh, what you have? And by that, I'm not talking about um, companies, right? Uh, we don't have to get into that, but choices on the kind of assignments, the the sort of stuff that you've done. Would you take a different path? Yeah, you know, I, I get asked that question a lot as I mentor, you know, young people in their careers. Uh, you know, somebody with 34, a 34 year uh, career history is always, you know, what would you do differently? And, you know, I, I always have the same answer. And I, I really have thought about this question quite a bit. And I think that what I would do over is probably take more risk in my career. Um, I have been pretty risk averse. Uh, and, you know, for, you know, whatever reason, I, I am kind of a risk averse person in general. And uh, particularly with my career, I have you know, really enjoyed the companies that I worked for, had long, long careers. I've been very loyal to the companies that I worked for and had really great, uh, great roles and been, I say, happy in what I've done. But in looking back, and you know, it's always easy to look in the rear view, but I think had I taken more risk early on, I've, I've been taking much more risk now that I'm later in my career, which is interesting. But earlier in the career, I could have had, I think I could have learned a lot more early on had I taken more risk and just done done new things. I would have loved to have done a international assignment. That, that was very risky, right, at the time. And, you know, I probably would have, um, you know, taken more roles that are less traditional. And, uh, you know, in my state, Procter & Gamble world, always you know you've got a very linear path to your career and you do this and check the box and you do that and check the box and it's just this predictable career path but I probably would have taken different a different path and and taken some side roads and not the linear path yeah and and I think the the conversation here is also around um you know it, I think the way you touched on it was take the risks so you can learn a different mm -hmm. thing right versus take the risk for something else so i think i think that in itself is great which is you know we also have the same conversation by the way on innovation uh, on ingenuity as well which is the risk generally what we do is we take a financial return on the risk uh, but we what we do not factor into it what is the learning we're going to get out of it and if we do that I think all of us, not just from a career standpoint or a leadership standpoint, we'd probably take more risks even in projects because mm -hmm. the downside is more learning. Now, why is that a bad thing, right? So, so I'm completely with you. So uh, you say you mentor uh, people. How about, how about advice to other leaders? So if you were having this conversation with some other leaders or frankly with Michelle in a different role, what would that advice be to other leaders? Yeah, I think my advice to other leaders is really to, you know, inspire others to be unafraid. I think it's really that psychological safety that you create with your people and your, your teams that they can be unafraid to share their voice, to speak their mind, to test 
new ideas, to speak speak about new ideas and not uh, not be afraid that they won't belong, right? It's that sense of belonging uh, that you give your your people that they are unafraid to to really, you know, be their authentic selves, bring their full selves to work, and to also um, be unafraid to share ideas that they won't be judged otherwise. So, Michelle, uh, let's let's delve into this a bit more, right? So, because I think this is a this is a critical insight, which is on the one side, uh, what what are you now doing for your teams, for your organization, for your for your people to give them that psychological safety? Because that's a one angle I'd love to just get a bit more of of your thoughts on. And when those fears do come in. What do you do to cope with it or overcome it? Yeah, it, you know, I have uh, a mix of folks on my team from, you know, people that are very new uh, in role and new to Kimberly Clark and people who have been around, been around the Costco customer quite a bit. And my business is, is a very high risk profile business. Costco has, you know, we call it extreme limited assortment in that they, in many categories, most categories, they have one brand. They have their their own brand, Kirkland Signature, but they usually only have one brand and it's typically, you know, the best, right? It's usually the leader in the market or, you know, the best performing brand that's in the market. And so it's always kind of a, you know, you you have 100% share or you have zero share. And that's a very high risk profile. And so, you know, I, I get the sense, you know, that my folks have a lot of there's a lot of pressure uh, when you could lose all the business. It's not just losing an item or two in distribution. You would sure. lose the entire business. So what I do to really, you know, keep my teams motivated and not, you know, have that psychological safety is number one, I think is, is trust. You have to have a foundation of trust and, you know, it's, it's trust with, with your team, with your people that, that you have their back. And you do that through intentional build trust moments. Um, you know, you can, you know, have that happen organically over time, but I like to be very intentional about building trust and, you know, creating those build trust moments. Uh, I do that with the customer as well, where you have, you know, how is it that I can give something to you without you having to ask for it? That is mm-hmm. really, you know, building trust. And, um, you know, it, it does take some intention, uh, especially if you wanted to build trust over a, you know, short period of time, because it does take a long time if you wait for it to organically, you know, build. But I like to, to have those build trust moments with my people that I have their backs no matter what. And then also encouraging them to share their voice. And I encourage people to be uh, what we call spiky. Uh, I like spiky people and spiky people are those that aren't afraid to speak their mind. And I encourage an environment that people feel safe to share their voice and that they won't be, they will still be accepted if they share a opinion that others don't agree with. So it's about giving them their voice. It's about, I, I really like the the way you put it, provide them with 
with something that before they've had a chance or the opportunity to ask. Now that's that's a that's a delight form of trust, right? How do you delight them so that they trust you more? I think that's that's a fantastic one. This has been absolutely fabulous. Uh, we've loved having this conversation with you. Uh, we can actually end it exactly there. Delight people so they trust you more. Thank you so much, Michelle, uh, for taking the time and sharing your insights. Our listeners would love to hear more from you. We will be sure to tag you in our show notes. And before we let you go, is there something that you would have wanted to share with our listeners that I didn't get an opportunity to ask? Uh, let's see. Uh, I would say, you know, one of the things that I, I, I would add on to, you know, what I would say about how I encourage my my team to be more and have more ingenuity is, um, you know, really to not be the one expert. You know, everybody likes to be that indispensable, you know, expert that people come to and rely on. Uh, mm-hmm. But how do you scale yourself? And that's what I always try to encourage my team to do is to, you know, build that scaling community and try to scale yourself and share share and reapply with others um, and and don't lock up that expertise just within yourself scale yourself that's that's a great way to to end this thanks a lot michelle this was absolutely fantastic awesome great talking to you Saka. thank you all once again for tuning in you can find all say hi to the future podcast series on apple spotify and youtube The Say Hi to the Future podcast series is produced by Sonia Romero, edited by Matt Miller, and special effects by Edward Baskets. Please leave us your thoughts and let us know if there's a guest you want us to have a conversation with.